Welcome to the Let's Talk Government podcast, a podcast that is provided for you by the Department of Government at Minnesota State University, Mankato, located in Minnesota in the United States. I am your host, Dr. Pat Nelson, the chairperson of the Government Department. I want to thank you for joining us as we explore different topics about government. Some may be surprising to you and some may not, so please enjoy. Welcome to episode three of the Let's Talk Government podcast. Today, we are going to discuss Democrats and Republicans. What is the difference? I am joined by Dr. Kevin Parsnow and Dr. Fred Slocum from the Political Science Program at Minnesota State University, Mankato. Dr. Kevin Parsnow is in his 14th year as a professor of, the politi of political science at Minnesota State University, Mankato. He focuses on the presidency, executive branch, and elect elections in his research. Dr. Fred Slocum is in his 23rd year as an associate professor of political science at Minnesota State University, Mankato. Dr. Slocum focuses on Southern politics and race, ethnicity, and politics in his research. Thank you for joining me today. So I'm gonna turn it over to Kevin to start off our conversation here. Okay, thanks, thanks Pat, I, I, I appreciate it. I asked to do a disclaimer at the beginning of this because probably both uh, Dr. Slocum and I will make some uh, we'll be using the terms Republican and Democrat, and sometimes these can mean different things. And, you know, in some cases, I could be talking about Republicans or Democrats, people who vote for or generally vote for either the party, might be talking about Republicans or Democrats in terms of the actual officials and so forth, who are members of the DFL and work as precinct committee people all the way up to the chair of the DNC or the chair of the RNC. And sometimes we might be talking about Democrats and Republicans in terms of people who actually hold office. These are all different terms, and but we just say Republican. So if there's some confusion, I apologize, but it's a, it's just a general thing. Who are Democrats? Well, they're in all those groups. Who are Republicans? They're in all those groups, and we just use the term interchangeably. I hope there's not too much confusion. I appreciate it. Great. All right, well, we're going to start off this conversation kind of talking about some geographic realignment of both parties over time. Fred, do you want to start us off with that? Yes, certainly. Thank you, Pat. Um, the... You know, historically, you know, the parties have had, the Democratic and Republican parties have had very different geographic coalitions um, in, in the U.S. Um, in the middle decades of the 20th century, um, the Democrats were generally the dominant party in national politics, and the Republicans' uh, relatively stronger areas were in the, mostly the rural northeastern states and parts of the uh, Midwest. Um, and the Democrats tended to be dominant elsewhere in the country, particularly in the South um, and the border states. Um, and, all the, and Democrats also evidence very you know, great strength in the nation's larger cities, and such as New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, and so on, in part due to the strength of urban political machines that ran those cities, which tended to be Democratic uh, machines for the most part. Um, beginning in the 1960s, there was a marked uh, sea change. Um, and... Um, the the biggest change i think was the was the steady erosion of the democratic party's strength in the south uh particularly among white southerners uh, many white southerners were honestly speaking enraged um at the passage of federal civil rights legislation in 1964 i.e the civil rights act of 1964 and the voting rights act of 1965 um <clears throat> and the um, the passage of the civil rights of the civil rights laws, as well as fair housing legislation in 1968, was by 
bipartisan in Congress. Um, it was a coalition of Northern um, Republicans and Northern Democrats that was able to pass those pieces of <clears throat> civil rights legislation. Southern Democrats, <clears throat> who were numerous in Congress at the time, in fact, occupying most of the South's congressional seats, were generally lined up in fierce opposition to these civil rights uh, uh, laws. And um, including, um, including even a 24-hour-plus filibuster by Senator Strom Thurmond of an early 1957 civil rights bill. Um, the filibusters of the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965 were able to be overcome by a coalition of Northern Republicans and Northern Democrats. <clears throat> so have there, um, been, have there been any more recent demographics uh, shifts? Um, you were talking about the 1960s, there, but how about more there recent? Have been, there have been, but um, th the, um, <clears throat> there has been a steady erosion of the Democratic Party's support among white Southerners. Um, um, it did not take place all at once, but it took place in various stages, but there were kind of waves or surges of Republican advancement in the South, most notably the 1980 election when Reagan was first elected, the 1994 midterm election uh, in which uh, Bill Clinton and the Democrats got a tremendous repudiation um, in the national and the midterm elections that year in, uh, Cong in the House and the Senate. Um, in 1994, most uh, you know, the, the House and Senate delegations of the Southern states flipped from Democratic to Republican controlled and the Republicans have never re relinquished their Southern uh, congressional majority since in either chamber. Um, um, the uh, 2000 and 2002 and 2004 elections reinforced uh, white Southern support for the Republicans under George W. Bush um, in the war on terror era. And then finally um, backlash against Barack Obama um, in most of the South um, outside of some of the Atlantic coastal uh, Southern states like Virginia and Florida. Um, uh, pushed white Southerners further um, into the Republican Party. Um, and then another change is the, uh, the rise of the religious right in the Republican Party um, attracted nationwide support, but it attracted especially strong support in the South. Um, and conservative white Protestant evangelicals are now thoroughly a, um, a um, lopsidedly Republican constituency. That is a lot of change, definitely, over time here. So, Kevin, would you like to start us off talking about, you know, who are the de Democrats? What are their ideologies? Um, well, I mean, generally speaking, when we talk about ideology, um, somebody who's a, what, what might be referred to as a liberal or an American liberal is going to generally line up with the Democratic Party and somebody who's a conservative or American conservative. I don't want to get too confused with European conservatives here, but uh, they would generally line up with the uh, Republican Party, although to some degree, you might argue that some of the ideas that Donald Trump has brought in, whether they're more conservative or, or something else, uh, gets argued among, among Republicans right now. So that more or less gets to, um, that, that more or less gets to the, uh, the idea that there are Republicans who are sort of different prior to Trump and after Trump. But generally speaking, I think the, the consistent pattern throughout that whole era, at least in the modern time period after the realignment is the Republicans are very much aligned with the evangelical or religious right. They're very anti-choice or pro-abortion, depending upon how you want to word that. Um, they support ideas of traditional marriage, you know, one man, one woman, um, and sort of oppose LGBTQ uh, rights, um, favoring uh, those sorts of issues. And another consistent thing for the last at least 30 years or so have been uh, the alignment between the Republican Party 
and pro-gun groups like the NRA, um, such that you used to have a lot of Democrats and Republicans on both sides of these issues. And increasingly, if, you're, if, if, a, if a candidate is Republican, you can pretty much count on them being pro-life and pro-Second Amendment, and a Democrat is probably um, almost certainly pro-choice. And then depending upon regionally, they would be um, either supportive of this the of gun control or less strongly opposed to gun control um i think on other issues um republicans have generally been more opposed to uh, regulation of trade regulation of business environmental laws on the other hand democrats um are more supportive of regulations of businesses whether you're talking banking or environmental laws and um let's see i guess what about civil, social issues? Yeah, like how about social issues like civil rights and civil rights? As as uh, Fred mentioned, civil rights used to divide the Republican and Democratic Party because the Democrats had a lot of people who were pro civil rights, so like Kennedy, Johnson, you know, uh, McGovern, these guys, um, mm -hmm. and they also had a lot of people who opposed civil rights. But now civil rights have gone pretty strongly in the direction of the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. Uh, Republicans had a lot of um, very strong civil rights advocates uh, for a long time, but they less so now. Um, perhaps the argument is, you know, voting rights, civil rights have been established well enough that they're not under debate as much. Republicans and Democrats disagree on this. Um, so what about the issue of immigration? That seems to be one that divides between the two parties. Um, well, I mean, immigration, uh, for a long time, immigration was, to some degree, uh, a bipartisan issue. If they could have just found a solution that made enough of the voters and enough of the regions, because both Democrats and Republicans were looking for sort of solutions to um, undocumented workers and this situation, because there was a need for employees, there was a need for, I guess, relatively low-paid labor in the ag community. And even as recently as George W. Bush, uh, a Republican president tried to find ways, as had, uh, as had uh, Clinton, to get people who had immigrated illegally um, into the workforce, and, a, and, a, and I guess the term now is path to citizenship. Um, of course, Trump, when he ran, he essentially announced in his very first speech, he's going to not go along with that route um, where the Republican Party was at and where the Democratic Party was at. And um, he's been very strongly anti-immigration. It should be added that Obama was pretty strict on immigration for a Democrat. Fred, do you have any thoughts on this? Absolutely. Um, I think the immigration issue is a clear-cut issue where um, there, has been, um, there have been differences emerging between the Republican base, uh, what Kevin referred to as the, party, uh, the, the Republican Party and the electorate, and, uh, and Republican office holders, which were evident, I think, during the Bush uh, presidencies and at least the first half of the Bush presidency and at least the first half of the Obama presidency. During that era, um, you know, President, then President George W. Bush and a number of congressional Republicans, including Senator, now the late Senator John McCain of Arizona and, and some other Republicans advocated um, comprehensive immigration reform, which generally entails a path to citizenship for undocumented immigrants already in the country plus uh, enhanced border security measures and possibly other measures like E-Verify. Um, 
And uh, the print, even uh, during the Bush and Obama presidencies, um, there was some congressional support, um, even among Republicans, for comprehensive immigration reform, as I've just described. However, um, they faced um, Republican Congress members, particularly in the House of Representatives, who were newly empowered after the 2010 um, uh, Republican tidal wave um, that uh, brought in 63 new House members and also the Tea Party. Um, the um, uh, Republican House members got uh, ferocious pushback from their constituents um, uh, who regularly denounced um, what, the, you know, what they called um, amnesty for illegal, illegal immigrants. Um, and so the, the pushback from Republicans um, in mostly Republican-held congressional districts was no amnesty for illegals. Um, and uh, that pressure was enough to scuttle comprehensive immigration reform in the House. Fast forward to 2012, and um, after losing, um, after Mitt Romney lost his real, uh, lost um, his bid to unseat uh, Barack Obama, and Obama was elected to a second term, the Republicans um, produced an internal document called the Growth and Opportunity Project, um, which was um, an internal memo, but although albeit widely publicized, that urged Republicans to. Um, take a more accommodating stance on immigration and also make more um, concerted appeals to young people, to racial and ethnic minorities, um, because the party risked becoming too uh, disproportionately old, white, and angry. Um, and as one senator, I believe it was Lindsey Graham, who said, uh, we, there aren't enough angry old white guys or angry white guys to make us a, a majority party in the long-term future. Uh, he said something like that. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but it was very close to that. Um, so Before that, you that's... get too far along here, Fred, though, can can we go back for a second? Can you explain sure. how the Tea Party is different from mainstream Republicans? I know you mentioned it, and it'd be a good one to bring up here. Um, the Tea Party uh, was a um, is you know um, is an anti-government uh, offshoot of the Republican Party. Um, ostensibly anti-government, uh, desiring to cut the scope and reach of government and, and slash taxes. Um, further research into the Tea Party, however, showed um, that it had considerable overlap with, um, with desire to curb immigration and also overlap with the religious right. Um, and you know, many Tea Party aligned members of Congress and other elected officials, um, such as Richard Murdoch of Indiana, who famously said that, um, uh, the, um, <clears throat> That, a, um, that if a woman was raped and um, uh, got pregnant from that rape, that the, uh, that the child uh, that would be born was basically uh, God's creation. Um, he was a Tea Party stalwart. So was Michelle Bachman, uh, former uh, US representative from Minnesota. Um, and, um, but many Tea Party aligned members of Congress also in strongly endorsed positions and the ideology of the religious right. And so um, uh, there's, uh, uh, to us, the Tea Party, I think, represents a movement within the Republican Party um, that uh, emphasized, I think, some degree of resentment towards uh, racial and ethnic minorities and also resentment against young people, a sense that young people are privileged and entitled and don't work hard enough. And, so and that, was born out, that was borne out by research out of Harvard University. Um, Go ahead, Kevin. I, I was just going to say, I, I think there was also a side of it that um, there were a group of voters that maybe make up some of Trump's base, a sort of populist base among the Republican Party voters, 
who felt that their votes were being used, like they were voting for Republicans and then they weren't getting the kinds of policies they wanted, right? Um, so so it, it was fascinating. I know nothing goes away on the internet. I have not looked at YouTube, but if anybody has ever want to see some, like some insane videos that are just really will tell you something about the, the um, party operations and internal changes within a party, go watch some of those town hall meetings of Republicans going back to their districts and some of the Democrats going back to their districts after the Tea Party was mobilized and the, like, the people are just confronting them in a way. I mean, in a sense, it was like a real civics lesson of ordinary people uh, telling the members of Congress, I voted for you and you're not doing what I want. So um, it's really fast. I don't know if it's still on YouTube, but if you can, you know, take a look. So is there a similar kind of splinter group within the Democratic Party that pushes an agenda like the Tea Party did it in the Republican Party? I I mean, I think to some degree. Bernie Sanders supporters, I think. I I wouldn't want to compare the two in a sense of beliefs and other things, but I think the the Democratic Socialists, uh, Bernie Sanders people um, are are similar in a sense that, that they sort of align with the party, but they don't. They aren't as committed to it, and they're really saying the party leadership is not listening to us. We want this, and you're giving us this. We, we want Bernie's policies, and you're giving us um, Hillary Clinton's policies or, okay. or the Clinton policies. I shouldn't say Hillary Clinton. She, didn't, she wasn't president. But, um, so before I mean, we, that, oh, that was a good division in the party, too, yeah. Yeah. So before we kind of go into some specifics here, how about foreign policy? What are the differences in between Democratic, Democrats and Republicans in the ideas of foreign policy? That, I think, has evolved over time. Um, historically, um, the Republicans long had branded themselves as the, as the more stoutly anti-communist of the two parties. And this was during the Cold War era, um, you know, ni- roughly 1945 to 1991, uh, when communism fell in the former Soviet Union, um, and um, the, you know, the I think that foreign policy differences became somewhat um, more muted after the downfall of communism in most of the world. Um, you know, albeit you know still present in China and in North Korea today um, and in Cuba, um, but. Um, but, you know, the old Cold War issues have, are not as uh, prominent now. Um, and um, some analyses I've seen suggest that, um, that, particularly on the American right, they needed a new bugaboo, a new, a new um, movement to line up against um, once communism um, became less prominent on the world stage and that that movement was environmentalist, environmentalism. Um, and so the Republic and the Republican Party did, in fact, move well to the right on environmental issues, as Kevin has um, um, uh, insinuated. And um, and that remains the case today. The Republican Party today th- thoroughly is um, a very anti-environmental party in terms of hostility to um, environmental regulations and hostility towards government agencies that um, that uh, enforce environmental regulations, most notably the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, but in in other you know coming back to foreign policy, um, generally I think Republicans have advocated a more um, aggressive uh, U.S. policy overseas, more willing to engage in wars overseas. Um, you know the Republicans I think experienced a period of advantage on this issue after the September 11th attacks, 
in 2001. Um, you know, George W. Bush um, then launched the war on terror, um, um, declared Iran, Iraq, and Libya, um, and, I'm sorry, Iran, Iraq, and North Korea an axis of evil, and then launched the Iraq War in 2003. The war, of course, became more controversial over time, um, and uh, Bush's uh, approval rating slid significantly during the, his second term as the war became more and more unpopular and helped create a, a, a climate in which Barack Obama um, was rather comfortably elected in 2008. Um, and then more recently, um, I think during the, during the Bush and even more so during the Trump presidencies, Republicans and Democrats are, have distinguished themselves in policy towards the Middle East, particularly towards Israel. Um, and during the Bush and Trump presidencies, the, um, uh, these Republican administrations have abandoned the usual um, uh, st uh, position of the U.S. being a neutral power broker between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Um, and um, both the Bush and Trump presidencies have been markedly pro-Israeli um, and basically have um, been kicking the Palestinians in the teeth. I think there's also, I mean, I guess in, in some senses that the two parties have seemed to realign in terms of um, engaging in sort of more focus on diplomacy than, than military in other countries. Um, whereas, and, and then also like, as if you look at like working with our allies, right? Working with Germany, working with France, working with European allies through NATO, which you don't have to go back too far. I mean, George Herbert Walker Bush put together this big coalition to go against Saddam Hussein. Um, and he was very much into engaging the rest of the world and bringing everybody along. Um, George W. Bush did that, but after, as other allies sort of dropped out of that, he wasn't as concerned. Um, so, and, but Democrats throughout this time period have been pretty consistent about, okay, we're, in, we're about engaging the other, the other countries, we're working with our allies, negotiating with Iran instead of trying to apply military pressure or trade pressure. Um, trade pressure seemed like more of a means to get... Um, to, to get Iran to give up its nuclear policy rather than um, the way the, the Trump administration has used it to sort of punish them until they just submit to whatever apparently they want. Um, so I guess the, the, the main thing here is, is that Republicans that had been both working with allies and being militarily more aggressive, but they've sort of dropped off that idea of working with allies and they've stuck more with the idea of military aggression until Trump, right? Uh, not that Trump doesn't use the military, but, uh, you know, Trump has said he opposed the Iraq war at the time. He wasn't so clear about that, um, but he doesn't, he, he, you know, that was a dumb idea. He's criticized George W. Bush on it. Um, and so we're not really sure where the, Dem the Republican Party is on that, whereas Democrats have been pretty consistent over this time period. So let's talk about the last two terms of presidency here. So uh, President Barack Obama served two terms as a Democratic president. Were there really any changes in ideology or the focus of the Democratic Party before President Barack Obama was elected um, versus after? That might depend on how you look at some issues. Um, I mean, now, like I, I mentioned, um, that the, the LGBTQ community and same-sex marriage and so forth. If you go back to before Barack Obama was president, um, yes, the Democratic Party was more pro um, was more pro uh, LGBTQ community, pro, pro protections for for uh, gay people. 
Um, but Barack Obama opposed same-sex marriage. And uh, um, the, the uh, don't ask, don't tell was put in place by Bill Clinton, right? You, you, if you heard talk about it, it would sound like that was something that some Republican did. But no, that was something a Democrat did. Um, well, it's important to recognize that don't ask, don't tell what it replaced. What it replaced was a flat out ban on, on LGBTs in military service. So don't ask, don't tell was a middle ground between, um, you know, between what the LGBT community wanted and what Clinton had promised in the 1992 campaign. And, um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the religious right and social conservatives. And at that time, military leaders who were saying, no, we want, you know, um, a maximum exclusion of LGBT um, people from the military. And so don't ask, don't tell was a middle ground. So Kevin, your microphone kind of went strange there, but were you, what were you acknowledging about Fred's comment about don't ask, don't tell? Well, yeah, he, he was, he's right that the, the don't ask, don't tell replaced that uh, gay people couldn't be in the military at all. Right. My, my only point was to hear the discussion of that um, would have made one think that that was some policy by Republican or con I should say conservatives um, when it was actually um, was actually Bill Clinton. And then um, the Defense of Marriage Act, right? That was also during the, the Clinton administration. But the reason I'm making this point was those positions were seen as moderate or liberal 20, 30 years ago, whereas now those positions would not be seen that way. Right now you'd expect that somebody would say, well, the liberal position is um, every, you know, everybody should get to marry whomever they love. And so, um, I, I don't remember the original point. My, so my <laughs> microphone went out. No, that's all right. You are actually, you brought us back around well. So I had asked about the presidency of uh, President Barack Obama. So now let's switch into our current presidency. Let's talk about, has there been a change in the Republican Party before President Donald Trump and then after? And if so, what have you guys seen? Well, I, I think I might've mentioned some of that in, in one sense. Um, he, he, uh, Donald Trump has been very critical of the Iraq war, which most Republicans were very much on board for. Um, and he, he has also, uh, pretty much changed the move away from some sort of compromise on immigration to very strict anti-immigration. And, um, uh, thirdly, the, the traditional role of the Republican Party has been to be very much in favor of free trade and doing uh, trade deals. And Donald Trump has had called himself, I don't remember he was the President Tariff or Mr. Tariff or whatever he called himself, but he's come out very strongly with the idea that I'm the president, I'm going to put tariffs on anybody I don't like. And he doesn't seem to have a whole lot of commitment to the ideas of free trade. If he, he thinks of trade, he seems to think of trade as a zero sum game. If America, if America is not making more money than China, then China must be making more money at the expense of America. So you gotta do something about it. Um, so I, I think those are probably some of the bigger uh, differences between the Trump administration and the sort of divergence from previous Republicans. Can you think of any, Fred? I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> during the during the 2016 campaign, Trump um, came out swinging against immigrants, came out swinging against Muslims, said, I think Islam hates us. Um, 
uh, proposed a total ban on Muslims entering the country. Um, you know, I, th I think the party was already changing. The, 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 the Republican base uh, was already changing in these directions and um, Trump just picked up on those currents and uh, cumulatively and collectively, um, you know, you have a, um, an overwhelmingly white uh, party um, whom survey research uh, shows a great deal of resentment against immigrants within um, and, and resentment also against Muslims um, gravitating towards Donald Trump, um, not holding their nose in response to his rhetoric about Muslims and immigrants, about Mexicans being criminals and rapists, but because of it, Trump was saying exactly what large uh, sections, uh, large sectors of the white Republican base wanted to hear. Um, and so um, um, I don't think, uh, I think Trump was uh, kind of riding a wave of uh, anti-immigrant and anti-Mexican immigrant, especially and anti-Muslim resentment um, that already has been gathering in the Republican party for a long time. Um, so I, um, and I think the party as a whole has continued to move in that direction. So, you know, you know, there's obviously some differences here, and we see that currently at the national level, we have a House that's controlled by Democrats and a Senate that's controlled by Republicans. And we've got, we're, we're dealing with a pandemic, we're dealing with an economic downturn because of the pandemic. What do you see the differences in the ideology? How would that control the House and the Senate? Because we know the president is one person in charge of the executive branch, but what about our congressional, our legislative branch here? I know, I kind of put you on the spot with that a little bit. Why don't they get along? Why don't they share um, policy ideas there if it's going to help the American people? I think one of the two, two, two fronts on this, and this might be something that Fred knows more about than me, but um, on, the, on, the, on the one front, the parties are diverging and they have been diverging along ideological lines. There's just no ideological overlap. Political science has a measure of this. It's called DW nominate scores. And the, the division between the two parties is farther than ever before. And it used to be that there would be some moderate or liberal Republicans that were more liberal than conservative Democrats, which gave a Democratic House majority leader or a Republican House majority leader or Senate majority or the president, some people on the other side to talk to and try and win them over. And those people are not there anymore. There's, there's no overlap between the two parties. If you look from the data from Poole and Rosenthal, they're just completely two separate blocks of people. And on the one hand, everyone goes like, why don't they work together? Like, it's a lot easier to work together if you've got somebody you can talk to, right? Um, so, I mean, and how voters, this, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Say, the, voters, the voters have not sent people to Congress that the other side can work with. So on the, on the one hand, the fact that they're both sort of more liberal and more conservative than ever before, um, that makes it impossible to strike deals, right? And so if one party owns the House and the other party controls the House and the other party controls the Senate, they're not going to work together. We're going to get Congress not doing anything. The, the flip side of this, one of the causes that I, I, I think is probably the case is the nationalization of congressional elections. Uh, House Speaker Tip O'Neill from back in the, the glory days of the 70s and 80s always said politics is local, but politics aren't local anymore. Right. Uh, Democrats and Republicans are voting on nationalized issues about national things. It doesn't as matter as much if your local member of Congress got some good deals and met with you. 
he or she is probably voting with their party at the congressional level. So if you're a Democrat, you're not going to vote for a Republican. If you're a Republican, you're not going to vote for a Democrat. Um, and, and so we've sent these two caucuses. The, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm putting a little blame on the voters here. They both sent caucuses to Congress that say compromise with the other side is giving in to things we can't possibly stand. So you should never compromise. And people who compromise are the ones that get thrown out. That's the weird thing because they live in districts where they're in the middle and the middle shifts. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm getting a little bit too no, much. That's perfect. On. Fred, how about you? Any ideas on this? Sure. I was going to say that I was going to offer some insight into how this has happened. Um, generally speaking, I'll just be brief about this. Um, the once large contingent of Southern Democrats in Congress um, has been systematically gutted out um, by um, election defeats, retirements, and, and Republican realignment among white Southerners. Um, and about the only Democrats outside of the more liberal uh, Southern states of Virginia, uh, and, um, and maybe Virginia is the only one these days, but, um, but outside of uh, perhaps Virginia, the, um, the congressional delegations of Southern states now consist of lopsided majorities of white, mostly male, very right-wing Republicans um, in most districts, um, often, often every district in some states except for one, and then um, generally black or of color uh, Democrats. They're in the five deep South states, um, the last, the, the deep South states are South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Uh, the last white Democrat um, lost his seat in 2014 to a white Republican um, and I will, I would have to double check, but I think there are either no or next to no white Democrats representing the deep South anymore in Congress. Um, the, um, the Southern states mostly are, uh, their, their districts, their congressional districts are mostly represented either by generally black, uh, sometimes Latino, um, um, Democrats in majority minority districts or in heavily white districts. Uh, generally white Republicans, large majority of them white male Republicans. And the latter um, are extremely conservative. Um, and uh, the, uh, for, the former, uh, the, the representatives representing majority minority districts are the, generally themselves of color and are fairly liberal. Well, wonderful. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for letting me put you on the spot. I know we have a thousand other things we can discuss, so you'll be definitely coming back for more podcasts. But I appreciate your time for talking about Democrats and Republicans and what are some of the differences, and I hope that our listeners do as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Government. If you have suggestions for future episode topics or other areas you'd like us to cover, please visit our website at link.mnsu.edu backslash letstalkgov to submit your ideas. Join us every Tuesday for a new episode and thank you for listening.